Thank you for tuning in to Tuolumne Community Baptist Church. I'm so glad that you're here. I really like this little bit of time that we spend together in the morning just before uh, people get here and before the, all the commotion of the church. And it's just a wonderful day. It's Mother's Day and we have so much to be excited about and so amazed at the things that God is doing in our midst. But I'm also excited about His Word. Today we're starting 2 Corinthians. This is an exciting chapter of a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. This is his second letter, and actually we didn't get the first letter that was wrote. This is actually probably his third letter that he wrote to the church. And this one, it's, it's, uh, I want you to really pay close attention to the words that the Apostle Paul chooses and the feelings that he's trying to convey. Um, he's really hurt. Um, and he's doing his very best to protect the church and not just blow it up like, like I probably would do if it were me in his situation. Um, I think you'll enjoy this. Stay tuned. We're going to get started here in just a minute. God bless you guys. Come out and see us in Tuolumne. See you soon. We're starting a new book today. Can anybody guess what it is? <laughs> well, we've been through... The book of 1 Corinthians, now we're going through the second book. Man, am I ever glad that I ordered some shades for that window right there. Yeah. It's hitting me right in the eye. I'm about to about need a sunglass, you know, to yeah. put on me. They should be here in a week or so, and we're going to get them put up there for me <laughs> and the drummer. Like that? How's that? that that's better. That's better. I can see now. Hey, I can see you. It was so bright in my eyes, I could I was seeing you know, spots out there instead of, uh, no, I, I have my own. Anyway, folks, for the past nearly two years now, we've been doing verse-by-verse -verse study. It's, it's something that I'm really kind of amazed at how God is using through me because I never dreamt that I could do a verse-by-verse -verse study. I was afraid that I might run into something that I couldn't quite explain. And you know what? There are some things that I can't quite explain, and it's okay because the Holy Spirit does, and He reveals them to us, especially when we begin to teach out of the living Word of God. We started out almost two years ago in the book of John. We went through the entire book of John, and we went through the book of Acts, not skipping a letter, not a period, going through the whole thing. And now we're in 2 Corinthians. I think that after we get through the, this second book of Corinthians, which, which is not going to take too long, it's a much shorter, each of the chapters are actually shorter as far as the length of the chapters. So we should be able to get through this pretty quick, but we're not going to hurry. We never hurry. We, we want to take our time and really get to the meat of the word. And then I think we may go into the Old Testament and pick an Old Testament book and, and do that one. But right now, as studying this, as, as in-depth as I've been studying, if I had just read it, you know, you, you open your Bible and you read 1 Corinthians, you read 2 Corinthians, and you go, oh, okay, that's good, I, I got some of that. But when you study it, I, I see things so differently. The Apostle Paul was really, in this letter, you know the first letter, 1 Corinthians, was about correction of all the issues that this church in Corinth was having. 
Remember there, there was a letter that was wrote to him by the family of Chloe and, and was telling him all the things that were going on. And then other letters began to shoot back and forth. Honestly, this is about the fourth letter, but we've only been given in the word of God, the first and second Corinthians. But studying this, I'm seeing, I'm seeing the hurt in Paul. It's, it's an amazing thing. If you listen to his words, Paul is a word man. He uses words, God giving that ability. And the words that he uses in this epistle is, is one of pain of his own for his people. Not just the Jewish people, but for the, for the Gentile Christians that have come to Jesus Christ that are choosing to do things in, in wrong ways. And there are others that have crept in to the church because he's in, how do you say, Ephesus? Ephesus. Ephesus, thank you. My wife said to me last week, she got home and she said, please, 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 don't say Ephesus one more time. Don't do it. It's wrong. It's wrong. Don't do it. And I said, well, what am I supposed to say? She goes, Ephesus. And I went, oh. Okay, she knows I'm a redneck. I don't know Ephesus, Ephesus. I don't. I'm just reading the words, you know. I don't know, but I said, okay, honey, I'll do my best to try to say that correctly. She said it with much love and concern. Anyway, what was I talking about? Um, what was I talking about? I don't know, until I got to that, he's in Ephesus writing back to the Corinthian church. He had promised them that he would come to them and see them. But instead, he sent Timothy and Titus. He sent others, and there were people that have infiltrated into this church who were really bad-mouthing the Apostle Paul. They were saying, you're listening to this guy? Do you realize Apostle Paul is just this little short guy with a big nose and bow-legged, and you're listening to him? Seriously? And they were really putting Paul down and, and trying to, tell, to break down his authority in the church or what he had. So imagine Paul having those feelings of, a, of an apostle of Jesus Christ, having been with Christ and seeing Christ himself and, and knowing and that what he's teaching is truth. Because he tells us in this epistle, I only speak, I only preach Jesus Christ. That's all he does. And yet they're trying to tear him down. So you can kind of understand the hurt that he had that was going on. And I'm reading it, and I'm really looking at the words he uses. And Well, let me read you my, my summary, how I started. I said the, the book, 2 Corinthians, is a Pauline epistle. That All that means is a letter from Paul. The apostle Paul wrote it about 56 AD. The key personalities of this book are the apostle Paul, Timothy, and Titus, who wrote this letter to the church in Corinth, to defend and protect his apostleship and to teach and warn against false teachers who were spreading heresy. I love 2 Corinthians because it gives us so many catchphrases. You're, you're going to see these as we go through. We walk by faith, not by sight. Those are Christian phrases that we use. My grace is sufficient for the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh. Oh, and there's so many more that you will see. In chapters 1 through 7, Paul describes the characteristics of an apostle. He explained 
that his ministry was to preach Jesus Christ alone and not himself. He said, for we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus as Lord and ourselves as bondservants of Jesus for Jesus' sake. That's in chapter 4, verse 5. A bondservant basically is a slave. Just so you understand, you have to understand what he's saying. I, I, this, is, this is who I am. Nothing more. Paul explains that Christians will suffer. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not despairing. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. It is promised to, to followers of Christ that we will suffer. You got to hear this. The Apostle Paul's trying to make it clear to us because we are human beings and we live in a fallen world. And guess what? Cancer runs rampant in our generation, in our time. We will suffer. Believers of Jesus Christ, we will suffer. And you think, well, no, we're Christians now. Everything's supposed to be just keen. How many of you, it's just keen for you? We all suffer. But we need to hang on to our faith and not allow the suffering to destroy us. And the Apostle Paul understands the things that they suffer. And he even is going to talk about the things that he has suffered. Paul states that compared to eternity with Christ, the sufferings of this world are temporary and have the purpose for us. Have a purpose for us. For, mon the, for monetary light affliction is producing for us eternal weight and glory far beyond all comparison while we look not to the things which are seen, but to the things which are not seen. Believe me, even for modern-day Christians, 2022, we struggle with this. No, pastor, you don't know what I'm going through. I have this affliction that's taking me down. It's deteriorating me. It's probably going to kill me. Well, that doesn't change the weight of glory. You are saved. We need to see this and not allow the difficulties of life to tear us down. In chapters 8 and 9, he urges the Corinthians to give the offering to the believers in Judah, back in Jerusalem, as they had promised. He taught that if they gave generously, they would also reap generously. Chapters 10 through 13, Paul defends his ministry and responds to the attacks about his apostleship. And believe me, they were attacking. They had been questioning his authority and opposing him. Paul declares that if anyone preaches a different gospel or a different Jesus other than what Paul and the apostles were preaching, they are false teachers and deceitful workers and should not be accepted. This is our Apostle Paul. In this letter, you know what, guys? I hope we take it as we study this letter, that you take it personally. He's talking to the church in Tuolumne County, the church right here in Tuolumne City. He's talking to us. In chapter 12, 7 through 10, the Apostle Paul explains a theology of his own suffering. He asks God to remove a suffering from his life. We're going to see that, but God refuses. God responds to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for the power is perfected in weakness. Now, we don't know what this affliction was for the Apostle Paul. 
I personally have my own ideas. I think it was probably blindness that he suffered from when he was stoned. But it's never told to us. It could have been other things. Maybe he was a diabetic. I don't know. He was suffering from something. And he prayed three different times, God, take this from me. And God said, no, in that suffering, I keep you seeking me. I keep you seeking me. You know, I, I didn't mean to share a testimony, but I want to share one because I remember when I was a, a fairly, I mean, I've been a Christian all my life, but I was fairly new in the ministry and, and I still had the motorcycle shop going and, and, you know, it was struggling. We were having a hard time and every morning I would get up and on my way, I would drive to work and it wasn't very far, just a couple of miles. But in that couple of miles, I would pray, Father, 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 supply our every need today. The PG&E's due, the rent's due, and I got parts coming that I've got to pay for when they get here. Lord, Father, provide for us. Open the door. Allow people to come in. Allow things to happen. Father, Father. And, and it would always come. It would always work out. But then there were times that the business was doing really well. Money was rolling. I was selling motorcycles. I was repairing, I was selling a lot of parts. And I remember the Lord distinctly saying to me, hey, what happened to our prayer time? Because I'm driving to work and I'm just, I'm just gleaming and all the good things that we're doing and all the awesome stuff that's gonna happen today. I'm just, oh, I, oh, I'm just excited about myself. And how smart a decision it was to do this or do that. And God said, remember those days when you would come to me every morning on your way to work and you would ask me to, I want that even when things are good. And I said, Father, forgive me. Forgive me. Let me pray this way to you even when things are good because they're not always going to be good. This church is such an amazing church. Tony and I commented all the time, the unity that we have here is phenomenal. The love and the respect that we have for one another. I keep standing around waiting for the second shoe to drop. Something's going to happen. We've got to be ready for when, when, when whatever comes, comes. But I think what the Lord is saying is through this, hey, even in the good times, remember me. Praise me, not me, him. And know that I am God. In times of calamity, he understood that these were times he depended on God's strength and mercy the most. Can I get an amen? amen. And in times of calamity, tell me, Sarah, in times of calamity, that's when you depend on God. That's when we're, we're at home hiding in the closet going, God, you got to help me through this because of calamity. You know, we need to see that and go, God, this forced me to come close to you. So instead of me looking at this bad thing that's happening in my life, maybe I should see that it's, it's drawn me closer. You know, we, we all worry about our kids, and I, and I start, you know, fretting and over my kids and what they're doing and what they're not doing. And God says, man, because of those kids, you're talking to me. Praise God. And I need to be giving him thanks and, and pray. He says, therefore, I am well content with weakness, with insults, with distress, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. 
For when I am weak, then I am strong. We're going to see this in 2 Corinthians. Paul knew he was the strongest when he felt the weakest because he depended on God and the one who was his infinite strength. And I praise God that that's how I feel. I am no more capable to stand up in front of you and preach, and it's only because of the love of God and because I ask for his help. And it keeps me humble. It keeps me close to him. It's amazing how far away I get when I'm not having to preach. Think of how lazy we are as human beings. Come on, guys. We're basically lazy human beings, you know? Even when Joe and I try to get away and we go on a little vacation, i got to force myself to stay in a word. Okay, I, gotta, I, I, I just have to because I don't want to be caught in that place where I get back to church and I go, I don't know what to say. I need to study for this. The last thing the Apostle Paul teaches in 2 Corinthians is how to test yourself. Listen to me. We're going to see this in a few weeks, but I want you to be thinking about it. How to test yourself. If you want to know if you are a Christian, if you want to know you are a believer and follower of Jesus Christ, then you must test yourself to see if you are in the faith. Examine yourself with Scripture. If you need to know, that's 2 Corinthians 13, 5. You can start go there and start examining yourself. The letter of 2 Corinthians is important because it's a magnificent message that God's power is brought to people in their weakness, not in human strength. This momentous theme emerges in a dramatic real-life situation for the Apostle Paul. So you guys ready to get into it? Okay, 1 Corinthians, sorry, 2 Corinthians Chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God, which is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in Achaia. Verse 2. Grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. I love how he starts it out. He always says peace and grace and love. And inside, I think he's probably full of turmoil, full of anxiety. Anybody experience anxiety? Come on. You know, yeah, most of us. And I'm sure the Apostle Paul has anxiety because he knows, he hears what's going on in the church. He's sent messengers and they've come back and they've told him and he's good. I got to love them. Blessed, verse 3, blessed be the God of our Father and our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Verse 4, who comforts us in all our tribulation, that we may be able to comfort those who are in any trouble with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. Man, I think I tell you this, guys, every week, but you ought to print that one out and, you know, put that on your refrigerator. Who comforts us in all our tribulation. Do you guys know what tribulation is? Anybody here experience tribulation? It's trouble. It's not fun. It's trouble. But God is most effective during those times of suffering. 
So he says, did I read verse 6 yet? Five? Okay. For the sufferings of Christ abound in us. So our consolation also abounds through Christ. We suffer just like Christ did on the cross. Maybe not the same pains, but he had to give up a lot of things. He had to give up his life for us. Now, verse 6, Now if we are afflicted, it is for your consolation and salvation, which is effective and enduring the same sufferings which we also suffer. Or if we are comforted, it is for your consolation and salvation. All right, we got to talk about consolation. It's pretty easy. It's a noun. The comfort received by a person after a loss or disappointment. That's what you need to be to somebody who is suffering. And we need to be there for you when you're suffering. To be a person of comfort, to bring consolation and comfort. Because we are all going to suffer at one point or another. It's going to be your mother. It's going to be your father. It's going to be your child. It's going to be something that we're going to suffer and we're going to lose. And it's going to be disappointing. And that's what the body of Christ is for. When we do memorials and funerals here in this church... Well, yeah, it's always blessed when we're talking about someone, a saint that we knew. But it's really for the comfort for the family who has lost this loved one. That's, that's who I'm concerned about. Yeah, we can tell that old Billy Bob here was a great guy and he served the Lord with all his heart. But it's your decision and it's your life that I'm concerned about. What's going on with you? And that's why we do these services to be a comfort and, and to bring something to each and every one. Consolation is comfort, sympathy, com compassion. There's, there's so many. Pity, uh, cheer, encouragement. There's just so many words that go along with consolation. Verse 7. And our hope for you is steadfast because we know as you are partakers of the sufferings, so also you will partake of the consolation. So these people are complaining a great deal. Is that the kids downstairs there? Okay. Cool. Cool. They're having fun. Hopefully they're telling them about Jesus too, I hope. <laughs> A couple of those boys down there with those kids. Aha! That's what's going on. That's what's going on. They're having too much fun. See, that threw me off track. I don't even know what I'm doing here. Did I read verse 7? I did. Okay, verse 8. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brethren. How many times have we heard the Apostle Paul use that term? Ignorant. It, it isn't stupid. We don't want you to be stupid. We don't, he's not calling somebody a name. We just want you to have understanding. We, we don't want you to miss the point. I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, for our trouble, which came to us in Asia, that we were burdened beyond measure above strength, so that we despaired even of life. This is the Apostle Paul referring to himself. That we were burdened beyond measure, above strength, so that we were despaired even of life. All I can say is a big, loud wow. Has anybody here ever considered not living? Suicide is rampant. And when we are in trouble, when we are lost and confused, 
We would rather just end it all. I don't want to go through this. I don't want to suffer this anymore. I've, I've just, and, and the Apostle Paul felt this way too. And this is what I want you to see by looking at his words. This was serious. This was unbelievable. He said in verse 9, Yes, we had the sentence of death in ourselves, that we should not trust in ourselves, but in God who raises the dead. Man, that just tells you how far down he was. I can't even trust in myself. In the decisions I'm making, I've got to trust in God. Well, I've tried to figure out what this event was that the Apostle Paul was talking about. So I, I looked at several commentaries on this. Our trouble which came to us in Asia. To what part in his history the apostle refers, we don't know. Some think it was the Jews lying in wait to kill him. Do you remember that in Acts 20, verse 3? Others, to the resurrection, to the insurrection raised against him by Demetrius and his fellow craftsmen. Remember those guys who were building the idols and when he wiped out their business, they were set out to kill him. Others to his fighting with the beasts of Ephesus. 1 Corinthians 15, 32, which they understand literally, others think that there is a reference here to some persecution which is not recorded in any part of the apostles' history. We don't know for sure. We are pressed out of measure, he said, above strength. The original is exceeding empathetic. We are weighed down beyond what is credible, even beyond any natural strength could support. There is no part of Paul's history known to us which can justify these strong expressions except for one, and that's when he was stoned in Lystra. You guys remember that story? He was literally stoned to death. They drug him out of the city, kicking and screaming, and stoned him. I can't even imagine how. Uh, and, stone, and that's why I think probably some of Paul's ailments that he's suffering later in life could have been from that stoning. That could be what he was talking about. We don't know. This most definitely had effect on his life. But the miraculous power of God, I believe, brought him back from the dead. It, it's not stated in the Bible that he was raised from the dead, but he was brought back to life. They thought he was dead, and he began to breathe. No, that's God. He's getting all my glory. We are just not sure of what persecution Paul is talking about, but in my book, I believe it was that stoning. He was that far down, and he wanted them to understand as he's writing this letter to him. He's trying to, he's, you know, I'm not going to go into every detail the Apostle Paul is saying to them, but I understand suffering. I understand how bad things can get. How many times have you talked to somebody who's in real distress? Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe they're getting ready to die and they don't want to die. It could be anything. And you see the distress. You see the pain. You're called to comfort them and say, I understand. Because we've all been there. And we have to be there for those who are going through it. Verse 10 says, who delivered us from, the, from so great a death? 
and does deliver us, in whom we trust, he will still deliver us. He's still testifying. Verse 11, you also helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift granted to us through many. Don't you tell me that prayer isn't effective. And thank you, church, for those of you that pray for me. If not daily, weekly, I know that you do. And it's what gives strength. And, and don't ever stop praying for the things that are important, your family, your children. Believe me, your prayers matter. I thank God daily for the prayers of this church. For our boasting, verse 12, for our boasting is this, the testimony of our conscience that we conducted ourselves in the world in simplicity and godly sincerity, not with fleshly wisdom, but by the grace of God and more abundantly toward you. He's telling them, can you imagine hearing this? I, I want you to put yourself in that place. You've just been talking really some hard smack against Paul. Who is that guy? Who does he think he is telling this church that we shouldn't do this and we should do that and we need to do things the way we see it? And you're, you just had this conversation and you get this letter. And he's telling them, hey, I love you guys. And I'm praying for you and I know that you're praying for me. He said in verse 10, for we are not writing any other things to you than that you read, than what you read or understand. Now I trust you will understand even to the end. I'm sure as they're reading this, or it's being read to them, they're going, oh man. As also you have understood us in part, verse 14, that we are your, we are that we are your boast as you also are ours in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's, it's, that's a little bit hard, especially the way I read it. It's hard to understand. I brag about you guys, especially my kids. I brag about my kids. I brag about how good you guys are doing. I brag about you as a church. And he's saying, you can brag about this, what we've told you, this letter. That's the things that you can brag about. He said in verse 15, And in this confidence, I intend to come to you before that you might have a second benefit. Verse 16, To pass by way of you to Macedonia, to come again from Macedonia to you, and be helped by you to send my way to Judah. He's kind of in a roundabout way here telling them, I'm not coming right now. I'm going to let you think on this letter. In fact, in a minute here, he's going to tell, I'm sending Timothy. He knows that they're wanting him to come. They want him to defend himself. And it's interesting that he chooses not. He says, I'm going to go to Macedonia. And then you, when I get there, you can help me and we'll go to Judah. Verse 17, therefore, when I was planning to do this, I, did I do it lightly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? They know the answer is no. That with me, there should be 
Yes, yes, and no, no. Verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you was not yes and no. He's trying to explain to them. You guys know that I'm not a guy that just makes things up. My yes is yes and my no is no. I'm straightforward. You guys know me. I'm not going to sit here and try to pick apart all the things that these people have been saying bad about me. I'm just going to tell you, you know that I say yes or no. And I was planning on coming, but I've changed my mind. Paul is defending his decision to go to Macedonia first. There were false apostles telling the people they could not trust Paul's word. Paul is saying, if it's God's will, not a yes and no from me. It's God's will. Why was the Apostle Paul doing this? Imagine his frustration and his anger. And Paul, being a word man, could go in there and take these guys apart verbally. He could destroy the church just because he was hurt and angry. So he chooses not to go. I think it was a godly decision on Paul's part not to go and defend himself because his defense of himself would turn into anger and frustration that we all can understand. And he says, if I don't go, I can let it go. We can deal with this. And I'll send Timothy. Let's, look, let's read on. Verse 19. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who was preaching among you by us, by me, Salvanus and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him, him, capital H, was yes. Verse 20. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him are amen. That's what we get. Yes and amen to the glory of God through us. Verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and has anointed us is God. It's God who's anointed us. It's God who's placed his hand upon us. It's God who put us in this position to start this church with you guys. Verse 22, it says, for also has sealed us and given us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. He says in verse 23, Moreover, I call God as a witness against my own soul, that to spare you, I come no more to Corinth. Ooh. To spare you, I'm not coming. Think about the depth of that, of what he's saying. These are his kids. It's just like as we as parents, we're worried about our kids and the knucklehead things that they're doing. But you go see him, I would probably take my son apart if I knew exactly what he was doing. It's best that I stay right here and pray. Well, that was a heavy statement. Verse 24, not that we have dominion over your faith, but our fellow workers for your joy, for by faith you stand. Like I've said before, Paul is a word man, and he knows how to use words and truly express how he's feeling. 
He knows they're going to be upset because he's sending Timothy. And he's not going himself at this time to spare them the pain of discipline. He needs to find out what's really going on before I go in there and make a, a fool of myself because of my own fleshly anger. Guys, how many how many of you agree with me? We, we need to withdraw sometimes instead of getting angry. Instead of just, you know, because you, you're right. You're right in your feeling and what's happening. But to go and try to defend yourself, all you do is make the situation where you, you wind up looking like the person maybe that they're making you out to be. That to spare you, to avoid the necessity of inflicting punishment upon them, of exercising severe and painful discipline, which he knew it would be. If he had went among them in this state of, ir of, of irregularity and disorder, which prevailed there, he would feel it to be necessary to exert his authority as an apostle and remove at once the offending members of the church. And it probably would have been good in my book, but I can appreciate the Apostle Paul, his thinking. He expected to avoid the necessity of these painful acts of discipline by sending them a faithful and affectionate epistle. That's this letter thus introducing them to reform and to avoid the necessity of a resort to which would have been trying to trying to, to him, would have been trying to him and to them. It was not then a disregard for them or a lack of attachment to them which had led him to this change of purpose, but it was a result of his tender affection, affection for this church. He loved them truly. And he was willing to say, I'm not gonna go, I'm gonna send people and they'll, they'll come and minister to you and give you whatever you're needing and then they'll come back and report to me. And he'll make a decision then. Do you see how what I'm saying, it would, if you can see and feel what the Apostle Paul was experiencing and you start reading these letters, you start understanding what truly was going on. There was so much behind the scenes that we can't see. You just read through it and you go, oh, okay, well, that was good, whatever. But there's so much more and we need to see it. We need to see it for our church that he's writing to us. That's to us, that we need to see these things, that we need to make changes in our own selves, in our own church. We need to be affectionate and loving. And guess what, people? We're all gonna suffer. If you want to be a Christian because, hey, I want the good life, um, well, <laughs> you're going to suffer. Because God does want us to be happy, and he does provide for us a good life. I mean, I have a beautiful home that I live in and a beautiful wife, and things are good. But we still have issues. There's still things going on in our lives with our kids and with our grandkids and with all the things that life comes, that life brings. Joe and I are so excited at the end of, of May, we're heading down to see her mother is going to be 94, right? 95 is her birthday. We're, we're praying she makes it. But on the same hand, it would be glory given to God if he could take her out of her suffering, out of her pain. We all have issues. We all have things that we suffer and pain that we go through. 
You can't let it distract you to the point where I'm not going to go to that church anymore. I was dependent on God to make things better. And it's not better. Fact is, it might be worse. I was happy when I get drunk. I mean, it's not better now. I'm frustrated. I got anxiety. God is saying, it's okay. I understand. I understand. And we need to be that comfort for you and come to you and help you through those moments, through those times. You're supposed to lean on your pastor. It's okay. It's okay. You can call me. You can text me. You can do whatever. Come and see me. We'll be a comfort to you. We'll help you through those very difficult times because guess what? We're all going to have them. We're all going to experience them.